Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. For me, today, I want to pick your brain about this. I've been All having right. a bit of an existential crisis, okay. Frank. I'm at, a, <laughs> I'm at a crossroads in my life. Right. And I'm struggling with a few things, my relationship being one. Right. And without sort of putting you on the pedestal of being an, uh, you know, a sage of wisdom, <laughs> I guess that you've, over the years, experienced many highs and lows that life has to offer. Very much so. And bled and poured it into your music. I was listening to the latest two albums on the way down and just kind of like going on a deep soul searching quest and your music right. is very good for that okay well thank you consciously i guess I mean, as well I, I will i'm perfectly i'm excited and happy to have this conversation but it's funny like quite because so my email address is public domain so people email me all the time and like quite a lot of the time people sort of ask me for advice and stuff and my instinctive reaction is always to go yeah, i'm the worst person <laughs> to ask i haven't got anything figured out that's why i keep writing songs about it yeah. is it's my own sort of there is a degree to which songwriting is a sort of public form of therapy for me, or at least has been. I mean, you know, uh, actually, it's funny we're having this conversation here and now because I'm actually this. The, I've made a lot of changes in my life this year myself, and have not in a particularly public way, but I've just kind of managed to um, uh, kick some old habits finally and really settle myself down in a relationship and. You know, right on. I am feeling in quite a good place. So Great, okay. I can, I can... So the dude that I spent the night with in Birmingham is perhaps a man of the past? Yes, yeah. That night, Well, that kind of thing. We we spent a wild night in Birmingham that 
ended up with me getting the train home the following day <laughs> because I was just out of my mind. Um, yeah, that kind of thing. I'm 35. I don't really need to be doing that when I'm 35. It gets to the two-day hangover, doesn't it? It does. Well, um, and I mean, I sort of realised, I, I had a moment of um, sort of honesty with myself where I just sort of wasn't really handling, and I really sort of hate this expression, but I'm going to use it, but partying. Yeah, yeah. I really wasn't handling it particularly well, and, and I was hurting, damaging my health, physical and mental, and kind of damaging the people around me as well. And just really, I've had a lot of ups and downs with kind of um, partying and substance abuse and that kind of thing. And I really reached a point where it was like enough is enough. Um, and I mean, you know, one might argue that it's early days, which yeah. it is. But for the first time, and I mean, this is this is the thing. Okay, I am answering the question. We are going somewhere. No, no, dude, um, there is no rush. Okay, I... I um, I've done loads of stuff with groups like Calm, for example, yep. Campaign Against Living Miserably, who are a fantastic group, talk about kind of uh, masculinity and male suicide and that kind of thing. And one of the things that you always talk about with groups like Calm is that, you know, um, not being afraid to ask for help and that there's a sort of social stigma against admitting that you can't handle an issue on your own. Uh, and that that's something that we need to fight against, get rid of, because actually the world would be a much happier place if people weren't too macho to ask for help. And I've, I've sort of talked that talk a lot over the years um, when being an ambassador for Calm or whatever and I had this moment of realising that I actually wasn't living up to that myself and that um, I could use a hand so I've, I've had a bit of counselling uh, stuff to help me make some changes in my life and it's been absolutely amazing it's been absolutely wonderful I can't recommend it highly enough um, and, and once I got over that initial kind of terror of like going for therapy it was like oh my god because you're exposed right and you're yeah, vulnerable well, and-, and also you know I was I was raised First of all, I was raised in a socially conservative British household, and then I got into Henry Rollins. And the combination of those two things are not particularly conducive to the idea of asking other people for help. And um, and it's you know, so it was re- I was very scared, and I was kind of embarrassed on some levels about it at first. And I still, I'll be honest with you, there is a level on which um, I have to kind of push myself to talk about it. And, and I mean, that's not just because I'm embarrassed about it. It is also important for me to have a private life. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, this course. is me talking in a public capacity right now. Yeah. And um, I don't wish to have every aspect of my private life in the public domain. But but I think that if, you know, I, I, I want to the extent that anybody's paying attention to me or, God forbid, looking up to me in any way, you might as well then try and sort of share the good bits. Do you know what I mean? And like, I have to say that actually having finally walk the walk as well as talk the talk that going in for that kind of thing was was hugely um beneficial for me can i ask you did you get to some of the root of perhaps why you were inclined to you know physically and as you say mentally push it push it to the limit yeah i mean i have i have a lot of um this 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 is the area of this where i'm going to be a little bit more circumspect okay um i have a lot of issues with um my family and my upbringing, which are quite deep-seated. Um, and We're all a product of it, aren't we? Well, this Even is the thing. Don't I, I, don't, I don't mean, by saying that, I don't mean to say this, claim any degree of sort of uniqueness at all. Yeah, Everybody yeah, yeah. has their issues, but like... But obviously your story is unique to you. Yeah, well, quite. And like, you know, I was, I was essentially shipped out of home to go off and be educated when I was eight years old. And um, my father and I have never really had a relationship since then. And blah, 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 blah. And, it, you know, I, we got into a lot of this sort of stuff. Um, but uh, I mean, but I mean, it was it was cool because like the I was doing a thing called CBT, 
cognitive behavioral therapy. Yep. One of the things that I enjoyed about CBT was it was incredibly sort of practically focused. It wasn't necessarily like you must have a holistic understanding of your life. It's like, what are you doing that's stupid? And let's stop you doing that. And it, Common sense when yeah, someone else tells yeah, you, right? Totally, yeah. Well, totally. And just there's a, just a lot of it just chatting it through where it was just like, oh, yeah. And um, I'm just feeling a lot more like an adult right now, <laughs> which is... Uh, which is a you're looking of, really healthy, and sometimes health you. isn't just physical, but it's kind of like a an eye thing. I think yeah. with, with someone's eyes, it's all in there, isn't it? You can yeah, see where yeah, they're yeah. at. Yeah, no, it's it's you know it's uh it's it's been a good thing. You know, I I, I don't want to burn myself out. I don't want to. Um, well, you work incredibly hard, and there's not many people. I, what what show is this tonight? Uh, 2074. <laughs> and incidentally, I'm not shows, I'm not actually like Rain Man. I don't remember those numbers just in my head I remember that because I wrote it on the set list just now Yeah, and I write it on the set list so I can remember it on stage it's amazing the people who imagine that I can recall every single show it's absolutely not true at all part of the reason I wrote that's cool it. that you counted though because not many people do do they yeah well the thing the thing with that was that um, Ben from Million Dead counted Million Dead shows and I remember at the time thinking that it was a bit much that he was counting our shows and why would anyone do that and then when we broke up I was quite glad he has and now that we are good lord 12 years past Million Dead's existence uh, I'm extremely glad because I couldn't remember anything that we did now if I didn't have some kind of aid memoir. Yeah, you know, and and I and and the Million Dead shows too are on my website, so it's all public domain. And one one of the things that was really nice about that, is a few people have got in touch over the years and said that they've tried to use some of the early years touring I did as a kind of resource for maybe suggestions of places to play, or ways to do it, and that makes me really happy because, you know, um, it's cool to share. It's cool to learn about touring from people who've done it as well. I mean, you must have had that advice from bands like yeah. the Pogues, Floggy Molly, just mentioning two that I know yeah. you've toured with. But yeah, been definitely. I mean, I think loads, aren't there? I, definitely. The other thing was there was a book I read called "Get in the Van" by Henry Rollins, yeah. which was the my Bible, app. right? Yeah, that was the exact word I was going to use. Yeah. That was my absolute Bible. From when I got it when I was about fifteen, I am actually sad enough that I own like three separate editions of it now. Um, but it, you know, uh, and the thing. You know, it, it, obviously it's about touring in, in, in a sort of in the early '80s when the DIY network was sort of largely non-existent and it's sort of horrendously brutal. But the thing I liked about Get in the Van is, unlike most other kind of uh, musicians' memoirs, first of all, it was about specifically about the road. So many books about musicians kind of go, they got together in a basement for three chapters and then it was like, then they went on tour and sold a million records. Now onto their drug problems and divorces. And I'm kind of like, but wait a minute, you skipped the bit that was interesting to me. And get the, the sticks band. and stones, right? Of yeah. Being in a band. Well, the vast majority of the time that you spend as a musician is on tour. Yeah. And sort of glossing over that seems a little bit weird to me. But also, the, the thing about Get in the Van that I really liked is it was the first book I've. I read that made me feel like I could like smell the road that I knew what being on tour would actually be like and um you was know. that an inspiration for when you eventually got to sit down and write yours then the road beneath I'm my very feet? very much so yes yeah. I thought that and the, th- the thing a lot of people have asked if I would write second part because that road beneath my feet finishes at Wembley which is now five years ago and um I um sorry sorry right, dude that's my laptop making noises I um one, a lot of people have asked, you know, are you going to write a sequel or bring it up to date? And I'm not sure that I am, or at least not anytime immediately soon. Um, simply because, to my mind, the bit that was interesting to write about was going from playing to like three people in a squat to playing to Fucking 12 Wembley. people in an yeah. arena. And after a certain point in time, if you reach a certain level of success, things become a lot more regimented. Do you know what I mean? And I do a lot less kind of um, going fuck it, let's go to Latvia and, and play in a, a, a weird bomb shelter or whatever it might be, you know. So, um, 
so I think that the, the sequel would be less interesting and quit while you're ahead and all that shit. I mean, we do still do some of that. Like, yes, uh, hold on, when was it? Monday, when we had the Bournemouth thing. That was I cool. saw that, yeah. Yeah, Blink, through no fault of their own, they had illness in the camp, they had to pull the show, and I just thought, well, let's do a show anyway. Well, you're from that school of getting it done, aren't you? Yeah. Well, the, the other thing, though, I think is really important to stress because it is that, like, I don't... Lots of people were sort of, like, going, oh, it's amazing you've done this thing in Bournemouth. I, I didn't do anything. I was going to play anyway. I, and then I played. Yeah. And my day went largely how it was supposed to <laughs> by the end of it. The, the thing people was, behind the scenes. Yes. Yeah, my crew, um, my booking agent, and I'm in particular massive shout-out to the people at the old fire station in Bournemouth. Basically, we had a bunch of people at venues great all great venues getting in touch but they're all really quite small venues and i was trying to get somewhere a bit bigger because i knew a lot of people want to come the eight thousand blink ticket holders wandering around bournemouth in a mood yeah you try and cater for them as many as you can i know the old fire station is a bit bigger um when we got in touch with sam at old fire station he was like i've got no pa my lighting rigs and pieces on the floor and i don't have any stuff and i was like please and he made it happen so Hat, I'm, I'm wearing a hat. Hats Take off to, off. to, to <laughs> Sam for pulling that together, and it was a wonderful moment. How's this been? As someone who is, I imagine, quite used to, well, I guess, is someone who enjoys the comfortableness of being free and being able to move around. And this is obviously a different setup at yeah, all, like this. It is. I mean, it's a funny, this is a funny thing that I think is, is less remarked on than it should be, um, to the extent that anyone should remark on, on the life of a touring musician. Being a touring musician is a weird combination of being very free and very regimented. Because, I mean, in a sort of broad philosophical sweep, you know, you know, it, it, it's a cliche, but it's like you're like a pirate ship, you sweep into town, and you sort of drink You're everything. a gang, aren't you? You sweep yeah, in, you, you raise you, hell, and you get out. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and there is an enormous um, kind of sense of freedom that comes that comes from the fact that you leave every night. And, and actually, there's something that, as I get older, sort of troubles me a bit, because the the, another way of putting that is it means you essentially don't have to take responsibility for a lot of your actions. And there are certainly sort of times in my life where I've sort of turned up and kind of cra- crashed through it like a bull in a china shop through um, a city and then got on a bus, and, and you don't have to sort of pick up the pieces. And and Have you ever had anything where you come back to a city and you get the horrors of like, oh, fuck? Um, not, 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 <laughs> nothing dramatic as in uh, like that. But I mean, you know, in terms of, um, I mean, in, uh, my, my personal life is very settled now, but I've certainly had things where I've sort of fallen for people in a city and it's kind of easy to do because you're only there for a couple of days and then you leave and it's not actually really an adult or meaningful way to go about. No strings uh, attached. It's the yeah, dream, right? You think yeah, about that when you've got that child to sort of frame make of mind. promises when, when you're leaving the next stage, you know what I mean? So, um, pleased that these days are behind me, I guess. But, um, but uh, I mean, it's, I mean, there's certainly, the one thing I will say, and tonight is the second night of, of a two-night stand. I always find two-night stands a bit weird because it's a little bit like revisiting the scene of a crime coming back into the dressing room and onto the stage that you're on last night. You're like, oh no, I did this. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so touring has this huge sense of liberty, which I think is really cool and really fun. Um, but particularly once you get to a certain level, I mean, I have a lot of shit to do in my day. I have a lot of responsibilities to get done. It draw- endlessly drives me mad that people think that all I do is be on stage for 45 minutes every day. It's like, really? Um, but and, and I do what my tour manager tells me pretty much all day. Um, and there's a weird sort of like... Um, Sort of double helix of responsibility of who's the boss between me and my tour manager because technically I'm the t- I am the boss, but then she's definitely the boss of me yeah. on the, on the logistical day to day side. I definitely do what she tells me to do. So um, 
but yeah, so you know, and I, I get up and I do press. I do radio sessions in the morning, and then I go and do press, and then I do. I've got shitloads of correspondence. You've got sound check, well, all this other kind of stuff to be done, and then of course the responsibility of actually playing a good show, which is um, crucial. And I've got friends in most cities in the world, and I want to try and make time to catch up with them because I'm only going to see them once a year or whatever it might be. So, um, so yeah. On the one hand, it's quite liberated, and on the other hand, it's quite regimented. I think that um, as we've got older, the whole kind of like traveling stag do vibe has kind of long since gone away. Yeah, right. Which which is great to be honest, because first of all, you can only do that for a certain amount of time. I'm 35 now; I'm way too old to be getting hammered every night. And secondly, because um, it's just a pretty unproductive way to live. Actually, there's the kids always asking me if they can come backstage, and I'm just like, yeah, backstage is mostly Facebook and yoga. Do you know what I mean? I've seen it so much as every individual band member is just head down in their laptop or tablet. Like yeah, totally. Well, minimum communication Skyping, between the Skyping guys. Skyping back home. Um, a lot of everybody in my band works on their own music as well. So there's a lot of music going on. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of physiotherapy and yoga and stretching and stuff because we've all beaten the crap out of ourselves on the road over yeah. the years. Um, and uh, everything hurts. So, uh, but yeah, so I mean, you know, we'll have a drink. I'll probably have a drink tonight because it's the last night at the door and I'm going on holiday tomorrow. So, uh, um, so you're not teetotal, you're just off the drugs, is it? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Well, and I drink a lot less than I used to right, as yeah, well, yeah. which is. Do you it, find that makes the shows easier and your voice is in better shape? Yeah. Or were you someone who sort of would party when you're not on the road and uh, then that, sort that of clean it up a bit? That was always the theory, but it wasn't always the practice. Well, it's hard, isn't it? Way of putting that. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, sometimes it spills over. And I mean, one of the things I like about what I do for a living is there is this overwhelming fact in my day, which is the show. And like tonight, there's going to be 18,000 people out there who've paid money for a good show. And kind of nothing else is important in the final analysis. Do you know what I mean? But that is so hugely important. And it's like, I don't... And so on the one hand, it's just kind of like, you know, if you miss an interview or whatever... Or miss soundtrack, whatever it might be, who gives a fuck? You've still got to do a good show, but also it's like, you know, um, you've got to fucking be good. Do you know what I mean? And it's and it, there is no possible excuse for not being good. Good uh, a show that, that involves oh, I've got a hangover. Really, fuck you. Who gives a shit? You knew you had a show today. Yeah. You know. Um, Where do you think that? Because obviously you're not perhaps a working class guy by family, by birth, but mm. obviously there's very much instilled in you that blue-collar mentality. Does that come directly from punk, or is um, it from various... I think various... it comes from punk, but I mean, also, my mother's family um, are, are very... are just a collection of driven people. Right. I, like, I have noticed as I've got older that I have a lot in common. Actually, it's funny, I was chatting to my uncle the other day, and he was saying my dad's family are all really impatient, and my mum's family are all really kind of practical, go-ahead, get-it-done people, and that's actually, weirdly, quite a good combination, yeah. because you just sort of get frustrated and pissed off about things, but then you do something about it. Um, so you feel like you got the best bits of those as well? <coughs> well, in, in this particular instance, pool. I think I also, as with everything, got my fair share of the junk as well. But, um, yeah, yeah. But hey, you can't pick your family. So you're feeling happy, you're feeling good, you're feeling healthy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the other, the other thing that's really good for me at the minute is just that uh, I've been working on a new record. Um, and the the thing that's interesting to me about that, and oh, I always have to be careful in phrasing this because I never want it to sound bitchy, and it's not intended to be bitchy. But, um, you know, for quite a lot of people, they've got... A, a lot of writers have, like, you know what they say, one good novel or, or like a couple of good records in them and a lot of people particularly when you get for musicians when you get to your mid-30s in my world people start kind of drying up on ideas or whatever and maybe this whole conversation is wildly deluded on my part and, and that's what people think of me I don't really know although 
for the record, commercially, that seems not to be the case. Um, but, uh, but like, um, you know, I'm just in the middle of... I'm just, I, when we finished Positive Songs, I had quite a while of not writing. I actually took a decision not to write for a while because I wanted to sort of clear the decks a little bit. Are you someone who usually constantly writes? Yeah, it's sort yeah. of ticking over. And I wanted to... I, I really wanted to make a change and do something different um, for, the, for my next record. So I thought, you know, have a... A breather on that, and then I felt like that record and Tape Deck Heart were very different as well. They in, are, in but, they, but they're yin and yang, to yeah, me. yeah, particularly right. subject matter wise. Do you know what I mean? It's just like there's a sort of flip sides of a coin to down me. the rabbit hole and out. Yeah, exactly. That's a very good way of putting it. <laughs> um, I might make that, um, but um, the so and then so after about a year, I had this. So I wrote a concept album about um, women who've been ignored by the historical record, history songs, all of them, real people who are not well known enough and all women from history, which was first of all loads of fun. It is finished. I am going to put it out at some point, but... A couple of examples? Uh, so I was writing about a Byzantine princess who's one of the only two medieval women whose signature we have uh, called Cassiani. I have a song about um, Dora Hand, who was a vaudeville singer from Dodge City who was shot dead in 1878. Uh, I have one... So about... you went deep with your research. Oh, right? yeah. I'm in a history. I've uh, got one about Catherine Blake, who's William Blake's wife. Yeah. Um, uh, I've got about 15 of these songs ready right. to go. But so first of all, writing those was a really fun kind of exercise. But also, uh, and it sort of cleared my head out a bit. But I then also, I mean, the world sort of went a bit mad in the middle of me writing all of that because I was writing that in 2016. And then the world went nuts and I sort of went, I kind of don't want to respond to Trump and Brexit and everything else with an album about obscure dead women from the 18th century. Do you know what I mean? As much as I think that is an important topic to cover. So I then wrote a whole other record. But it's it's... My point in all of this, I do again eventually get to my point. Dude, you can talk as um, long as you want. My point in all of this is just that like, I feel really, really, really lucky because at the age of 35, making my seventh solo album, but I've made, uh, hold on, one, two, three, four, I mean five other records with other bands, I feel as kind of fired up as I was when I was 19 making the first Million Dead record. Like I feel I've got so much to say, so many ideas and things to do. Um, and obviously that's solipsistic and maybe the world will disagree and go, oh, this is bullshit or whatever. But I don't, who gives a fuck about that? You can't think about that while you're, while you're writing. I just, you know what I mean? I don't feel like I'm sort of dredging the depths to find things to write about. I feel like I'm brimming. And Do you also feel like you've maybe done the autobiographical stuff to a certain extent? Yeah, I mean... Because you've so, gone in deep with that, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, definitely. And, and not only lyrically, I think that is true, um, but also... Um, stylistically musically um, there was something about positive songs that really felt like me kind of hammering home the sort of end of a certain furrow that I've been plowing do you know what I mean and like the new record is very different stylistically have you started in, in places. have you started writing music for it I've, I've recorded 13 oh, songs okay uh, they're not nice. mixed yet and I have since recording those 13 songs written some more songs so I'm going to go back and do them uh, but it's I mean it's not it's not like night and day yeah, yeah. Um, but they're, they're not going to go. What? It doesn't even sound like him. Yeah, I mean, certainly still me singing yeah. and writing the lyrics and stuff. But there's a lot more kind of um, analog electronic equipment involved, cool. should we say? Yeah, um, yeah. And there's a lot more kind of horns and uh -huh. strings and that kind of thing. And I just sort of wanted to get a bit more expansive in my musical palette. Well, again, you've done that guy with the guitar thing. 
right? Yeah, well, that. and we've also done, I mean, and I mean this in the best possible way, the, the model for Sleeping Souls for me has always been the E Street Band, and yeah. it's that thing. The reason the E Street Band is so fucking good... I've got good, little Stephen coming on in November. Fucking can't wait. awesome. The, the, the reason that the E Street Band is so great is that they're the best bar band in the world. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and I mean, and to be a bar band is actually a hard thing to do because you have to be fucking tight. And, and entertaining. And right? entertaining, yeah. and, and also be able to just spin on a dime. Do you know what I mean? And like, obviously, what I do and what the E Street Band do is not completely the same at all but um you mean as opposed to a bunch of faceless musicians just back yeah yeah but also just that thing about like i mean I, and I i'm now going to put my pride marker down a little bit i think that we're a really fucking good band i think we're fucking tight i think we're fucking heavy well how long have um, you all been playing together now uh well matt joined the band in 2008 right so um, 10 years pretty much yeah pretty much well the other the other three i've been playing with since 2006 so it's bit, I mean, we, we, we probably should be reasonably good by this point, yeah. do you know what I mean? Uh, and we have done a lot of shows in that time. But it's just, I feel very proud to stand at the front of that band on stage every night. But, and, and I'm not now playing with other people uh, because they're also very kind of diverse musicians who can turn their hands to different things. But it's kind of like, you know, we've done the whole kind of like acoustic, electric, piano, bass, drums thing quite a lot. Let's branch out a little and see what other weird stuff we could do. And I mean... We'll see what people think. Where are you at right now with your, I guess, UK fan base relationship? Because you seem to me to be building around the rest of the world a lot. And do you feel like that's because maybe you reached a plateau with the UK where you're like, I can leave this for a bit and then um, go elsewhere? Does that make sense? Because I feel like you reached a a real, not that it's dipped at all, but you reached like a massive peak around yeah. that Olympic ceremony kind yeah, of time. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think that is true to a degree. However, I, I need to uh, phrase this carefully to not be... Not say the wrong thing. Um, I feel like there was a bit of a, a moment. Part of the reasons we did Lost Evenings and part of the reasons we did this tour, specifically this tour, was that I suddenly realised that there were there was a bit of a sense of us resting on our laurels in the UK. And and as much as you know, there's more work to do in other parts of the world in terms of getting up to the level that I'm at in the UK. Yeah. I, I'm never one to stand still, and I am an ambitious person. And it was like, actually, no, fuck it, let's go out and like make some more noise. And you know, again, part of the reasons that we did Lost Evenings, I got really bored of being asked about Wembley in every fucking interview I do four years after the event. And it was just like, okay, cool, here's my own four-night festival. We're doing it again next year. I think it's going to be more nights. Do you know what I mean? It's like I wanted to sort of, I, I, I don't want to be somebody talking about my past all the time. And it, yeah, yeah fucking tedious um and and you know i'd like to i'd like to achieve more in this country as well right on um i'm going to ask you about your past very quickly sorry to sure, take no, you back no 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 it's fine <laughs> <laughs> um when you expose yourself so much in song and you're so sort of expose in your approach do you is there collateral damage with your personal life with that in terms of people because i guess you've got strangers going oh my god you're so honest you've shared this it's touched me mm. but then you've maybe got people in your life going oh did you really have to go there yeah yeah um there has been on occasion um take that heart was quite a difficult record because it's very specifically about one person in one situation and um i sort of justified it to myself and attempted to justify it to her as it being mostly an album about my failings in fact entirely an album about my failings rather than hers um because it was my fault that things went south and i we're friends and i care for her very much but i mean like you know that is slightly kind of that's still a selfish thing to say in its way i guess the thing that i said to myself in the studio was that like art has to win this argument if you're making art you know um you can't spend your artistic time trying to be nice to do you know what I mean? It's got to, the art's just got to be pure. It's got to win. 
which it did, but it, that, there were some difficult times around that. Um, not so much anymore, partly because I feel like I've said most of what I need to say about relationships in song, or certainly for the time being. Um, the other thing, though, is like, I mean, you know, I am in a steady, <clears throat> long-term relationship at the moment, which I'm very happy about. Is that a big part of the turnaround as well? Uh, it is, Wanting yeah. Wanting to be a it is. better person. We've, we've had some ups and downs in it, but it's actually become an adult thing. I, I like like every other fucking guy in the world, I did lots of kind of running away rather than sorting out problems in my 20s, and I've now decided to actually do the sorting out the problems bit and doing, doing this crazy thing called working at a relationship. Mm. Who knew? That's um, where I'm at, yeah. Yeah, you know what? It's worth it, yeah. actually. It really is, because you soon what I've realised, and we've gone back to where we start now, soon what I realised was that the stuff that I was kind of letting interfere with it was so vanishingly petty and shit and meaningless by comparison you know and actually if you find some if you if you're lucky enough to find somebody with whom you really connect and who you could have a life then you should do that because 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 banging around in bars to quote, <laughs> to quote the hold steady banging around in bars in your 30s is not a good look no um, that's it right isn't it it's it, yeah there's a shelf life yeah, exactly. exactly. And the thing, and it, one of the things that I've learned is that, like, you've actually the best way of thinking about it is like, you know what, you got, you had your twenties. I mean, how old are you? Sorry, thirty-one. There, there you so, go. Yeah, you have your twenties, and that's fine. And, and and everybody gets their twenties, and you can't be bitter that you don't get more of your twenties because there was never part of the deal. Nobody ever offered you more. And I'm not saying that your life has completely changed, but it's like you know, uh, like I say, I, I found myself suddenly kind of at like house parties where I'm the oldest person there by ten years, and I was like, this is bad. <laughs> You know what I mean? Do you find that you can still maintain? Because I know a lot of your friends are sort of, you know, perhaps in that world still. Mm. Do you find that it's then hard to maintain those relationships to a certain degree because you don't necessarily want to be around? Because uh, there's a lot of friendships that are forged in those nights as well, yes, right? There are, there are. I think that it, as sad as it is to say, or as harsh as it might sound to say, I think it slightly sorts out the yeah. real friendships from the chemical ones. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You find you actually figure out oh, I do actually like this person. We have things to say to each other at nine in the morning when we've just got up rather than are still awake. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, it's it's a kind of winnowing process in a way. Um, but yeah, I, you know, and the thing is, I don't, I don't, I'm not one, I am not and don't want to be one of those people who now has to like hold up my handbag every time anybody sort of decides that they're going to get smashed. Yeah. Um, it's fine. I just don't want to do it myself but anyway so what, what I was going to say being now in a long term relationship one thing that does that, it, that can be quite difficult for me which is not quite what you're asking about but you know uh, the with the social media and all that kind of thing I, I was initially very keen on social media on the idea of it breaking down the mystique around musicians and I've never been comfortable with this sort of like rock star idea and musicians are just normal people who work at a different type of job and that is true and I like that demystification process however there are there are a lot of angry unbalanced people out there and I've certainly had oh now with a voice <clears throat> yeah um, a platform at least yeah, yeah and a kind of leveled platform which yeah. is kind of one of the things that's weird about it the mob but, rules yeah but, and also just that thing of like you know I've had my significant other kind of being contacted on her social media oh, really? by fucked up people. Right. Um, that's happened a number of times in my life. Um, and and it, that fills me with like white hot rage because it's just like, you know what, motherfucker, leave me alone. Yeah. And, and particularly leave anybody around me alone. And it's, 
And it things it's not always kind of negative. It's not always people who hate me trying to have a go at people who like me. In fact, it's not not mostly that. But it's you know people trying to sort of make friends with my girlfriend or make friends with my friends or whatever. And it's just a little bit kind of like you know what you creepy. Get, well, you get my time on stage. Do you know what I mean? And you get the records. You get the records. You don't get my personal life. Yeah. Like fuck off, leave me alone. Um, so that that has been pretty trying at yeah. times. It comes with the territory. There, I am aware that you. It is. Do you use it a lot now? Are you sort of someone who yeah, engages with it? Yeah, I do. I do, and, and I've sort of learned over the years to sort of like because they're all quite different as well. Instagram, yeah. Facebook, and Twitter—they're all very yeah, yeah. different media. Um, I mean, I only really like Instagram, right? I, <laughs> um, I, I do. I mean, I sort of like try and. You don't seem to get the same negativity on that. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I, I try and. I think the most important thing for me is not to take any of them seriously at all. Yeah. Um, I have my email address on my website, and as far as I'm concerned, that's my adult form of communication. And it, like, if people are sort of like trying to tweet me, oh, I'm putting on a gig, can you play? It's like, and you're gonna what? We're gonna negotiate the contract over Twitter, are we? Like my email. One hundred and sixty characters at a yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. My email address is in my fucking Twitter handle. For fuck's sake! Like, do you know what I mean? Just be a grown up and fucking email me. Um, so you know, I don't have any problem ignoring replies on any of this kind of stuff, and it's good for disseminating information. And sometimes it's fun and. And all the rest of it, but I, I, it's important to me to be able to just walk away from it and not give a fuck. Yeah, I'm not always perfect at doing that, obviously, but that is certainly the principle I try and work towards. Um, yeah, but it's I don't know, like it just sort of, it's a funny old thing. I think particularly that Twitter is reaching some kind of impasse. Actually, yeah, I think yeah, I yeah. think it is so hate-filled and. I need to phrase this quite carefully because I don't want to... Let me jump in and lead you a second if I can because I heard you on a podcast whilst I was sort of, you know, listening around to things that you covered mm. so as to not go over too much of yeah, what's yeah, already sure. been said. And you were talking about how... Um, you go and I'll jump in after. Let's well, do it that I, I was, way. I, I mean, I'm not sure if we're driving at the same point. Right, here. right. I think one of the things for me is not only is that thing of like everybody has a megaphone these days, yeah. but I think that there's a... I think there are people who whose social skills are not the best. Yeah. Who can get themselves into some pretty messy situations in social media interactions with people and that kind of thing. Um, and I think that that's bad for everybody, not least the person in question. You know, if you're somebody who who does have difficulties with some of that kind of thing, suddenly finding yourself in a screaming match on Twitter with like 500 people, one of whom... You know, or any number of who might be. I remember what well you said. Or whatever. When you're in a certain underground scene and you're at the top of that, everyone is there because they're a fan of you and they understand you and they like you. Yeah. Once you cross <clears> over <throat> into the mainstream, that's when you get the average person who doesn't perhaps understand where you're coming from exactly. with an opinion. Well, almost on you. The, the definition, and that's of that trade-off that you make, yeah. isn't it? The, the definition of not being underground is is being in the consciousness of people who didn't choose to have you in their consciousness. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like... Um, in that is going to be people who disagree and don't yes, like definitely. what you're saying. And that's fine. I, you know, I mean, God damn, I'm, I'm used to being called a cunt by strangers. <laughs> this is a, a, just a complete irrelevance in my life. Um, and, and anybody who does anything remotely like what I do for a living is used to that. Um, but like I say, I just sort of... I mean, I had a bit of a weird thing a couple of days ago, which I really don't particularly want to go into. But and one of the reasons I don't want to get into it is actually looking back on it. And, you know, I, I sort of lost my temper with somebody who was 
just called me a cunt endlessly. Um, but and and then they got really upset because, which is like, how is the fuck is that legitimate? You spent an entire week calling me every name under the sun, and I made a polite suggestion. Now I'm the prick. But anyway, but then looking at it now, and I don't mean to this to short circuit the argument we're having, and I don't mean this to be rude, but I sort of feel like that guy kind of got himself in a, in a bit of a like. Uh, uh, dug himself into a bit of a hole essentially yeah. is what I'm saying and I, I feel bad to the extent that that um, then made him feel worse because I don't I, I, in my my job is to try and increase the sum total of human happiness do you know what I mean I don't want to make anybody feel bad about anything particularly and I just sort of feel like yeah there are people who who you know I mean I'm sort of libertarian in my politics so I never would be in favour of any kind of restriction or ban on who's allowed any kind of speech anywhere but there, there are times when I look at it and I kind of go mate you shouldn't be on Twitter yeah do you know what I mean this isn't doing you any favours <laughs> yeah um, I've just come off Facebook and I'm going to try and spend the rest of the year oh mate just full detox full I mental. have come off Facebook and it is the greatest thing really? I've done it is. in fucking years okay. I cannot recommend it highly enough Fuck Facebook. I've, I haven't deleted my account. I've kept the Facebook Messenger thing because I have friends in different cities all yeah, around the yeah, world yeah. and it'd be nice to contact them and then contact me. But I do not have it on my phone and I do not have a window open in. on my laptop and I don't log into it and I don't fucking read the feed and I don't give a shit. And my God, I have better conversations with people. I fucking read actual news articles rather than bullshit that people are posting. I read more books. I don't wake up pissed off. I skip through my house in the mornings rather than spending half an hour going, oh, Jesus Christ, fuck. Do you know what I mean? Like, it makes oh. you dislike people that you like. Exactly. And then you're like, what am I doing? Yeah. Why am I here? I realised I use Facebook for two things. First thing, showing off. Yeah. Secondly, getting into arguments with my friends. Yeah. I could quite happily lose both elements of those elements of my life. And I, oh, I, I feel I feel like I'm, I'm like an evangelist for this. Get <laughs> off Facebook. It will do you so many favours. Well, today is day one. So next okay. time I see you, I'll let you know the positive changes that have occurred you know what? as a result. I felt within 24 hours, I felt like my entire life. Because it isn't. It's a form of addiction. Oh, my God. I couldn't agree more. Actually, I mean, I sort of unfollowed everybody on Instagram the other day. I'm about to do the same thing on Twitter. Because I still use those as tools for my business life. Well, that's I the thing is you need to, don't you? you yeah, need but to I be don't want to use them for my personal life. Amen. Fuck that. I yeah. want to hang out with my friends. If I want to talk to somebody, I'll fucking call them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And like, as you say, retain that privacy. Yeah, you know, because everyone is entitled well, to that's it. The other I, thing. I think every, even you're not to, in people, not even people that are on the stage, just average people are now giving up their whole life and showing everything. And yeah. It's like you should be actually keeping some of that totally. back. But it's just, uh, just, just step away from the fucking laptop and and like talk to someone you know try that and plus I mean I, I try and read a lot anyway I mean one of my major kind of neuroses in life is that there are way too many books that I will never be able to read in the life I have alive and this really wakes me up in the night I'm not even kidding um, and I've been reading loads more since I've stopped looking at Facebook and it's great because I realised I was spending quite a lot of my eyes reading stuff time looking at Facebook it gives a fuck about Facebook it's just uh, it's just it's sort of this sort of preening well, it, I mean, I think everybody uses it either for showing off, getting in arguments with people, yeah. or you know just I mean? kind of stalking and judging and not yeah. not engaging. These are these are not good ways of engaging with people. No. Do you know what I mean? How do you feel like technology is affecting the show? Do you feel like it has altered it in any way? I'm specifically, I guess, um, referring to people, yeah, camera filming phones. and yeah. I I feel sorry for people who are filming a show on their camera phone. To be honest with you, I'm just like you're a fucking idiot. You're missing the gig. It's over here. It's happening right now. And no, you didn't see it if you watched it through a screen. You missed the gig. Yeah. You idiot. You paid for it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, and you know, when I'm kind of, if I'm looking into the crowd, because I try and make eye contact with people when I play to engage the crowd because it performance is a form of communication, art is a form of communication. If I'm looking at somebody and they pull up a 
fucking phone or in worse a fucking iPad really uh, you know uh, <laughs> oh, it happens I know I've seen um, it but the thing that I immediately do is like you might as well just put a bag over your head I can't communicate with you anymore thanks See what goes through a performer's head right if you're <clears throat> at a very emotional point in a song perhaps and you look out into the crowd and someone's like just taking a picture does that bum well, you out it does but I mean it does if it's right in your face definitely but like I mean it you get used to it after a while. And like I say, I sort of tend to think that it's just kind of their loss rather than anybody yeah. else's, really. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, it's... it's. It, I don't want to... Um, again, I mean, my, my tendencies in life are not to kind of try and ban anything. I never ban anything from my shows like that. But it's just... I try Like, we did a whole thing, actually, when... So the whole of Positive Songs, we rehearsed on in sound checks and road tested live before we went in the studio for an 18 month period during which time every time we played a new song which was generally two a night for probably 500 shows I said you know please just don't film the new songs um, you can film the whole the rest of the show do whatever you want but please don't film the new songs and in a year and a half I think two people posted them on YouTube Wow! and then we got them taken down again and that was playing to Hundreds of thousands of people, and and that's this is so one of the things. Respectful that, fan base, Frank no, Turner. The, the thing is, but everybody has a respectful fan base if you start off by respecting them. Yeah, right. Do you know what I mean? Getting and on that what, level what playing sort of field bugs me so much about some bands who just sort of make these sort of like issue these kind of edicts. Tell them what they can. And yeah, can't it's do. just kind of like just talk to people like they're people. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And and it works because people are people, you know. And it's only because you've come at them just being like all phones and bags are banned from the venue that people go, well, fuck you then, and start trying to film it. Do you know what I mean? If you just if you come and go, look, please, just do me a favour for the following reason, please don't do this. And then everybody will agree because you were decent to them. And if they do, then the whole crowd's going to look at them and go, you're a bit of a dick. Well, you? quite, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's just, yeah, I, and, and, and I mean, that's actually quite a good illustration of most of my views about politics. Is it's just, it's like, if you actually interact with people as individual human beings, you don't need to issue rules and regulations. You can just appeal to people as humans and it works better. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Let's talk about No Effects. I want to talk to you about them sure. because they're a band that changed my life. They're probably the mm. band that opened my eyes to all rock music, not just punk. Right. Um, the live album, I heard they suck live. I got that when I was 13. And 
more so than even the songs which were incredible stuff like kill all the white men yeah. it's what they were saying in between this kind of like they were encouraging the crowd to berate them and there was just this highly evolved humor there that was so sardonic and yeah yeah and i, I listened to that record to death when i was a kid <laughs> God damn. knowing all the skits in between yeah, is the yeah, best yeah, totally what was they, what was your impression of them as a kid when you were discovering bands? What impact did they have on you um, as a songwriter? No, and uh, well, I think this is a funny thing. So you know, I, like, I am of the age where Dookie and Smash came out one on top of the other, and just I'd, I'd it, been right? a grunge grunge and metal kid before then, and then it was just like, oh, okay, we're going this way now. And I'd also I bought a Clash and a Pistols record around the same time as well. I can't quite remember what order all that fell into, but like essentially, yeah, Dookie and Smash got me into kind of pop punk. Or whatever and then you know you start we did that thing of buying because it was me and like two friends at school we didn't know anyone who knew anything about punk and this pre the internet and then krang or whatever didn't really write about it very much or at least nothing below the surface level so we buy records by collating thanks lists yeah yeah so yeah. if you've got three records that all thank the same band buy three different bands then you go out and buy one by that other band absolutely all the then, fat records and epitaph compilations yeah, as well oh, were yeah key. yeah fat music um, and then the, all the punkaramas, all of that stuff. Yeah, and then you know, seeing who was supporting who on tours and all that sort of business. And and uh, no effects were, were and are and justifiably so the sort of I th- I feel like the sort of kings of the underground version of nineties pop punk. And still are right. And still are yes. And um and I think the no effects secret have two secret weapons. First of all, they genuinely don't give a fuck. <laughs> the world is full of people who claim they don't give a fuck, but secretly they do. Yeah. And. NoFX and particularly Mike are some of the only people I've ever encountered in my life who genuinely don't care. Like, they do not give a fuck. And it's actually almost kind of, like, intimidating. Um, and then secondly, Mike is a, f- is a phenomenal songwriter. He's and a, a phenomenal and, lyricist as well. Yeah, right? and yeah. you can play his songs on acoustic guitar quite happily, and they sound great. You know, and that's not true of many punk bands, actually. Um, you know, what, what do you think is the best, if for anyone, for every reason, listening to this, who has never heard NoFX... It's probably Slim Pickens, but what would be the one song that you'd say this is really a great example of why they're oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> putting him on the spot, on the spot there. <laughs> as I he's mean, trying to put his own set list together? Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's a tough question. I mean, I'd say if my album of choice for people to start with would be Song on So Long and Thanks for All the Shoes uh, and or Punkin' Jobbleck. Um, uh, I mean, this is a bit of a, a wild card choice, but I feel like um, Rico might not be a bad place to start because right it kind of covers their entire stylistic gamut in one song. Yeah. And it's a fucking banger, that song. God damn it. Mr. President, please understand. It really is that bad. It Great. won't just go away. The party's yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's it's a clever piece of songwriting, you know. Um, uh so yeah, but I mean, and I Mike's be... since become a friend of yours, right? And that yeah. must be a trip. It is. It is. It was quite weird at first, not least because he slightly sought me out and told me that he thought I was a great songwriter. Wow, which was a phenomenal thing to hear <laughs> from somebody who I songwriting I love, you know. And um, he's a maniac. Have you had ways. some wild nights with him? Oh, many. back in the day, <laughs> many. Although interesting, the interesting thing with Mike is that he on, is only goes wild when he's on the road. I've hung out with him at home in San Francisco a bunch, and he he's just is a parent and a, a family dude. man. Yeah, <clears throat> he just and and the reason that No Effects never tour for more than three weeks at a time is that's about all he can handle before it's time to go home and chill the fuck out. So that's the way he does things. But um, but yeah, you know, he's he, we've we've sort of got messy together, and and we've sung songs with each other at shows and all this kind of thing. Um, but I really actually think that he's a very smart um, and very talented guy as well. I 
respect him as well as enjoy drinking in his company. Well, dude, that musical man, and particularly the the song about I'm suicide. Yeah. Home Street yeah, Home. It's, a, it's, it's, it's really powerful, isn't it? Yeah, it's really good piece of work. Um, and did you get to see it, the, the show on Broadway? Uh, no, I did not. Um, well, Blink-182, let's talk about them. You're on the road with them right now. Yes, yeah, I mean... A different kind of band. I guess maybe you were ever so slightly too old because you're three or four years older than me and yeah. I was just on the cusp yeah, that of is being young enough to be into them when they were at there. Yeah, I sort of like... I remember when Doob Ranch came out. I really liked Doob Ranch. When Enema of the State came out... And the thing is, I'm old enough now to fucking to get over it and not be self-important about this it's you know I don't think Enemy of the State is any more sort of commercial than quite a lot of the bands that the records that I was into for example Dookie but it's just that I just about reached that age where I was starting to listen to Black Flag and Descendants yeah. and stuff like that and therefore oh my God, they weren't this? your gateway band yeah exactly and therefore because I was a snotty shitty little 16 year old I was way too cool and then and then sort of stopped paying attention to their career, having although, like I say, I absolutely adore Do Ranch. I thought it was a phenomenal record. Um, I keep using that word. I need to stop. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it's so part of the reason this tour has been fun actually is 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 kind of going. This is a great band, a great all round band. You know what I mean? Like they they're sort of playing. I guess you call it greatest hit set. I mean, with with some stuff from the new record in there as well, and it's just solid hits. That whole set. Do you know Matt? From prior that's, to... that's how I'm on this tour. Oh, really? Yeah. Killer. So basically, this tour got announced. I saw it on like enemy.com or something, and I was like, "Bloody hell, that's a tour!" Um, I mean, I think we're playing to like 180,000 people in just under three weeks. Uh, and then, so I saw that, and then I thought, "Oh yeah, I want a piece of that." And remembered that Skeeb was now in Blink, so I sent him a text and just said, "Come when you can, sort us out." And, um, Straight up, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, grand, that's fantastic. Yeah, he and and uh, you know, it's it's in good humor. Yeah, um, yeah, no, no. But and, what I mean is just that actually, that on that level, this level, there's still that. Yeah, dude, I got your back. Yeah, no. T- well, it was for not. It, it was. I nearly said it again. It was. It was lovely of him because he basically he called me back about an hour after I sent the text and just went. Dude, would you would you be up for that tour? That would be awesome if you were up for it. And I've mentioned it to the others, and everybody thinks it's a cool idea. And I said, I mean, yes. I mean, there's probably some booking agents who need to now have a conversation about this. But in principle, yeah, that'd be amazing. And and it went from there. Have you supported anyone in the UK in the last, say, five years? It's been a while, right, since it you've has gone been out. A while. I mean, I'd say the last person people we supported. In. We did a one-off with the Pogues in 2012. Um, did a one-off with Green Day in 2013, which was sort of a last-minute thing. Uh, so no, not really. Not really. Not for a full tour. Not for a long time. And actually, that's one of the things that's interesting about this tour to me is that, like, between 2010 and 2013, The Sleeping Souls and I spent the vast majority of our time on tour in America opening for punk bands who have a reputation of having a difficult audience as far as being a sport band goes. So we did Flogamoni, Social D twice, Dropkick Murphys, um, all that kind of thing round and round and round and round and round and they're long tours as well and they're grueling and you're playing a 2,000 people a night and you're doing 60, 70 shows are you doing that in the van as well? Uh, at the beginning in the van then we then we went to this thing called a bandwagon which is a total nightmare death trap and then finally we got to a bus but you know doing those tours round and round and round and it's grueling hard work um, and I feel like that's when we became the band that we are 
Do you know what I mean? That's but, how it'll do it, right? Yeah, I mean, we really, really got kind of knocked into shape by those tours. And not, not only musically, but personally as well, because there were definitely some very tense moments within all of that, and we kind of <clears throat> got to the other side of all of that. So, um, but, you know, and we got really, though I say so myself, we got really fucking good at walking out in front of a bunch of people who don't know who we are and, and, are, and are planning on not caring. And then it's like, right, I've got 30 minutes to make this. I mean, particularly, and I say there's no disrespect to them, but like Social Deeds fans... I don't want to fucking know about the sport bands. And you know what? We won their crowd every fucking night for two tours in a row, and I'm proud of that. Do you know what I mean? And There's a great rush you get from that, which is a very different feeling to when it is your own crowd, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. And there's a tangible achievement. You walk on stage yeah. to silence, and you walk off stage to a standing ovation. That's just like, yeah, we did something here tonight, you know? Um, I just did a tour with House of Pain, dude, and they're basically the running order was meant to go. One of the... MC's side projects would be the support but he decided then he wanted to have that just within the main set so it's basically me for two hours every night DJing to a House of Pain crowd before they came on awesome. and it was the same deal it was fucking terrifying and tough yeah. because there's a real mix of people with all different music tastes and you really <coughs> yeah, have imagine. to fight to win them over and get them in yeah. the mood and yeah. when you do it's all the more rewarding because yeah totally of because you've done your job and, and this comes back to the fact that like for, first and foremost I would describe myself and you may well do too as an entertainer. And I'm proud of the word entertainer. I think it's a good word. There are people who get sniffy about that word, which to me is the wrong attitude. It's just like from a sort of sociological point of view, you know, we're the corner of society whose job it is to make people smile at the end of a shit day. Yeah, and right that's, on. And that's just something to be proud of. And I'm fucking proud of it, actually. You know, and and... And of course, there's art within it, and of course, art, it can achieve other things and go other places. But first and foremost, we're an entertainer, and that puts me in the same category as the vaudeville and the circus and musical. And I'm happy with that, more than happy. Right on. Um, we should wrap it in a minute. I want to just close by asking you about Extra Mile. Cool. And the relationship there between the yes. label and yourself and yeah. the. Well, there's a lot of people who think Extra Mile is my label, which is not the case. I guess that's why I wanted to ask, yeah. just to get all that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not that I'm in any way trying to distance myself from it. No, no. Essentially. Um, so, a guy called Charlie Kaplow was running back when independent press agencies were more of a thing in about 2000, 2001. He was running a press agency called Press Council, and um, like a lot of press agencies back then, they would kind of do a bit of press for an unsigned band in the hope they'd then get signed and take them on as their press agents kind of thing. And Charlie kind of started getting annoyed at the fact there was a bit of a kind of moment in time when no one was really getting signed, and Charlie got kind of pissed off, <clears throat> particularly in the British rock scene. Um, so... He decided to form a label to put out two bands that he was really into and doing press for, which was Ruben and Million Dead. Um, so XMR 001 is the first Million Dead album. So there you go. Um, and the rest is history, literally. Yeah, well, and then basically, um, so Million Dead um, did its thing. And then when Million Dead broke up, Charlie sort of came to me and, and he and I had gone become very close already. And he was like, let's do this. So he's my manager and my label. But it's just, I mean, it's... I'm both it is both boring and not possible for me to go into the details of, of our <laughs> structural legal relationship. But um, is that a unique relationship? Um, Do many people have uncommon. a label and a manager it's is the uncommon. same guy? Um, Does it work well in your favour? Does it? Suit? It has been an absolute dream for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. No issues at all. And it's really it's funny because a lot of people were like, "You've got to be cautious about this." And I was just like, "Well, it's about the individual. You know, it's about Charlie. He's my boy, and uh, and we have come through thick and thin together." And it's just you and him, right? Basically, yeah. I mean, I don't... So he runs the label. Um, and initially, initially, kind of for quite a long time, I, I, I mean, I'm still the biggest artist on the label. 
Um, but you know, one of the things that makes me happy is that I want Extra Mile to exist independently of me. I don't want people to think it's just a vehicle for me to put out my records or a sticker put on the back of my records or whatever. You know, and the fact they're putting out records by Mineral and Against Me and Skinny Lester and Will Varley um, makes me really happy because those are all excellent bands and acts and there's and tons of other stuff which I'm not remembering right now you know it's 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 really cool that they have they're getting a real kind of strong roster together um uh but you know I mean like that's me for life do you know what I mean fuck um and and I don't work for Extra Mile I sometimes bring them bands um so for example Sean McGowan is putting out a record with Extra Mile which I will take some credit for but at the same time sometimes they introduce me to bands for example Skinny Lister who Charlie said I've got a band that you want to hear um and I said wicked let's go on tour forever so we did (laughs) um so it's it's very close it's very symbiotic it's not exactly synonymous but, um, I mean, the thing is, like, Charlie and I have been through enough now that I don't think either of us would imagine that this is ever going to change. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's funny, like, every about generally speaking, a management contract um, in the music industry is a two-year period. Um, and once every two years, Charlie goes, uh, in fact, last time it happened, he went, oh, God, I think we're out of contracts. Uh, and I went, really? And he went, should we just do the last one again? And I said, yeah. And we signed it there and then in his office, and that was it. Love it. You know, and it's like, there's no, it's fine. Do you know what I mean? It works really well. We trust each other. We um, we are a good team, I think. Well, I mean, as evinced by the fact that we're talking about this at the O2. Right on. Well, have a great show tonight, dude. Thank do. you for your time. Thank you, man. Thank it's you for fun. opening nice up. to see you. And thank you for uh, giving me some food for well, thought and some inspiring. And good luck with everything. Strength to go forward. Yes, good luck with it all. Put it there, man. Thanks, Frank. Awesome, Cheers. Thank you. But then I remember. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.